Warning, this podcast has stories of real-life events and true crime that happens every day. These stories may contain adult language and graphic or disturbing details not suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And we have one of our favorites back. Ken, how are you, sir? I'm good. Always good to be with you guys. Ken is, is I, I like to call him the background whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, me. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if your webs, if you don't have backgroundwhisperer.com, uh, uh, you should register that. <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> That'd be easy to remember. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, Ken is here and it kind of came about because here's the thing we're all we all talk you know when we're not on the show as well and there's some reactionary policy coming out now that we instantly started talking about on social media and we thought that'd make a good show to talk to you guys about because it's probably I would say outside of law enforcement a very misunderstood um, technique or tactic if you will you know, it's this whole reimagining of police, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it's crazy. So uh, we are going to talk about what the hell is a pretext stop and why people want to get rid of them and how that is a terrible idea. <laughs> Very bad idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, let's just, I think, jump right into it, shall we, boys? Uh, Ken, why don't you explain to everyone what is a pretext stop a pretext stop is where a copper is on the road and it 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 doesn't matter where you are it could be anywhere and you see a uh, a car in a bad area and you see that they have a broken tail light or their license plate light is out or the signal is not working and you decide i have a legal right to make this traffic stop so that's the pretext and then when you stop them you find guns in the car. You find criminals. You get their driver's license as is a course of duty. You run their their license, their driver's license, and they're a wanted felon. Murderers have been caught using this technique. It's perfect. Oh yeah, we'll get legal. into it. Legal. Yeah. And so um, let's let's. Uh, I'll give you a for instance because um, I used pretext stops a lot, um, and any cop that doesn't isn't doing his job. How's that? Um, I'll yep. just say that right out the gate. Uh, I would use pretext stops. We there's a there's a vehicle code section in California that requires you during hours of darkness to have your license plate properly illuminated. Yeah. While operating a motor vehicle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sounds all highfalutin, but guess what? That little teeny weeny dinky license plate light that lights up your back plate when you drive around at night. That's a requirement in California. Yeah. And if it is not lit at night, that's a violation, period. It's in the vehicle code. You pull somebody over, you can write them a ticket, make them fix it. You can tell them about it and warn them. But regardless, it is, in fact, on the books, you can't do it. It's just like a broken taillight. It's just like, uh, you know, it's a ve- it's an equipment violation. Well, I'll go, I'll go one further. There is There are now places that are saying, oh, you don't have plates in the car, no front plate? 
no, you, just, you, you can't pull over for that. You can't right. do that. Right. Oh, and that's another um, good example. In California, you're required to have a front license plate on your car. Yeah. However, <clears throat> what we would do is we'd be driving out at 12 o'clock at night, 1230 at night. You know, if you were in the area of a bar or if you, you know, all kinds of things. If you're in a drug neighborhood and you see a car that is suspicious and you want to investigate it for either drug activity or you want to investigate it for a DUI or you want to, whatever you want to investigate it for, you see that there is a de facto, an actual violation, right? It doesn't matter what is in your heart. It doesn't matter that you're like, this guy might be drunk. It doesn't matter that this guy might have a warrant. It doesn't matter that this guy might be, you know, wanted. The fact remains there is an, there is an on the books violation on the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So you pull them over for that. That's it. Now, if the dope comes or if the if the drunk driver comes out, like whatever comes out of that car, doesn't matter because you had a legal, lawful reason to stop them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to I mean, basically what they're saying is, is all those little tiny ticky tacky administrative laws. You can't enforce them anymore because we can't tell if you're enforcing it because you want to stop them for other reasons or if you want to stop them just because of that violation. I I don't quite get – I mean maybe you guys can explain it to me. I don't understand how you cannot stop somebody for a real violation. So check this out. There has been word that has come out, um, and they're saying that that minorities get pulled over more than than, it's white white people right and so they're saying that the, the, this is to protect the minorities because they're the ones who are getting pulled over for you know the chicken shit violations that are ended up you know leaving leading to prison times or jail sentences because they had you know unregistered firearm in the car concealed firearm you know felon with a firearm and all this other stuff but you're still out committing crimes and that's crazy to to enact a law and saying well you can't pull anybody over for for a pretext stop for expired registration no front no front plate or other things because this is uh we believe it's targeting minorities and and i've heard of that coming out and that's a lot of the reasons why a lot of this reimagining is going on of police and law enforcement agencies right well there's a lot there's a lot to it the mm-hmm. there's there are departments see they can't make it illegal for cops to stop doing this i mean to do this right. they are making department policies that their officers won't do this and the other thing is exactly. that it, depending on the demographics of the area those officers are working on, like if you work in a, in a say, South Central Los Angeles or Atlanta, or I don't know, I don't even know what other parts of the state, but uh, other states. But if you work in an area that's predominantly, let's say, Hispanic and and uh, and uh, black, and then the majority of the crimes are being committed by blacks and Hispanics, then those are, are going to be the criminals. <laughs> Yeah, it's demographics. Yeah. If you work in in Georgia, in you know whatever Georgia, and it's 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 uh you know Bubba on his tractor is con- doing drive-bys, you're going to concentrate on Bubba or gang members who are bikers. I mean, it just depends on the demographics. I'll give you a perfect example that, and you had said you didn't know other cities, but I happen to work near a city in Central California, um, just north of Santa Barbara. Is Santa Maria and the area around Santa Maria is famous for vineyards. It's wine country. It's like, it's yeah, it's tri tip. Uh, (laughs) It's good. Tri tip too. 
Uh, but the migrant farmer population in the city of Santa Maria and the city, the, the nearby city of Guadalupe is large, very large. Okay. Now, if I were to tell you that 65% of all of the car stops done by Santa Maria PD, and this is as to the best of my knowledge, when I left, these are real numbers, like 60 to 65% of all the car stops done by Santa Maria PD are done on Hispanics. You'd be like, wait a minute. Out of all, wait, they don't pull over Hispanics 33% of the time and whites 33% of the time and blacks 33% of the time? No, they pull over Hispanics 65% of the time. And you say, wait a minute, that's way, 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 way too much. They're way over enforcing on Hispanics. And I say, okay, that's your opinion based on the statistical data, just looking at that number. Now, what if I tell you that Santa Maria's Hispanic population is actually 80% Hispanic? Like of all of Santa Maria's people, 80% of the people that live there are Hispanic. So when you actually look at the numbers and you say, wait a minute, 80% of the people who live there are Hispanic, but they're only getting pulled over 65% of the total car stops, they're actually being underrepresented according to their demographic. If you work in an area where one in a thousand people is white and the other 999 of them are black, guess what? The ratio should be 999 to one car stops of blacks versus whites, if it's going to be equal. So by that rationale, you can't just look at statistical data of race when polling people over. You have to look at statistical data of race in the context of the greater issue, which is the goddamn makeup of the city. (laughs) And, and, you know, when here's here's the bottom line, though, the reason that they're doing this is because they're saying people of color are getting pulled over at a higher percentage than than, say, white people. But the thing is, you can't the cops are not pulling people over because Hey, there's a brown guy. They're pulling him over based on the crime maps in the area that they're working. Yeah. And yes. if, you know, also what, what I think is funny is that they, they nixed it in certain areas all in general because they know you cannot tell who's driving most vehicles. You can't tell race, color, creed, ethnicity. You can't because a lot of cars have tint or the sun or a glare or the car is going fast, but you see a violation. You're like, okay, well, it's a late model Honda, Toyota, or this is a kind of a vehicle we're looking for, or it has no plates. And that's a dead giveaway, especially in California, that you were supposed to have plates because they've made that a law now. Everyone has plates, even from the dealer, you have plates. Yeah, the paper plates have to have a a exactly. And so I think it's funny that they're like, well, no, you can't do any of this because they know deep down you cannot tell most vehicles who's behind the wheel. So how are we how are people targeting? I don't think they I don't think they know that deep down. I don't think they acknowledge it. I think they are willfully ignorant and they try to pretend that cops genuine. And hey, to be fair, yes, there are times when you can tell the race of a driver like by they pass you, you see through the window, whatever. But I I can honestly tell you. That other than a specific racial descriptor in a suspect broadcast, the race of the driver has never entered into a single car stop I've ever made. Period. End of story. Right. Now, does that mean if I saw a white kid in a BMW at 3.30 in the morning is South Central LA on a dope corner? I'd pull that kid over because he was white in a BMW in a dope neighborhood uh, that's predominantly black at 3.30 in the morning in South Central. Why? Because it 
something's not right. That's not racial profiling. That's social, I guess, social profiling. <laughs> it's something that sticks out, right? And you have, if the guy says, oh, no, my girlfriend's black, I'm just dropping her off. I go, okay, bye. Have a nice night. And then that's a reasonable explanation for why they're there. But if he's like, uh, yeah, uh, no, I mean, uh, and he doesn't know why he's there, then must start to dig a little deeper because that's called police work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it cuts I think, both ways. Yeah, I think that that this is just another social justice move on the part of politicians, and all it's going to do is it's not going to it's not going to um, make uh, people feel better. It's going to make citizens more at risk because a lot of times during these pretext stops, where criminals are stopped and arrested with guns or whatever in the car that they're uh you know you stop someone from committing a crime and that's going to be that's going to come to a halt yeah and we're going to get into that because one of the things we want to talk about is what a successful and effective tool that pretext stops can be when you look at the history of them but um let's talk about let's talk about some other policy because i think this is short-sighted to me this is a reactionary policy change much the same way it was when they took away the carotid restraint much the way it was when uh, in in California, I think it was the entire California Highway Patrol was ordered under policy to stop towing cars for people who did not have a driver's license. Now, here's here's why they were told somebody's pulled over and they don't have a driver's license, like not they don't have it on them. Right. There's a different statute for I have a driver's license. I just don't have, possess the actual card on me. And then you write somebody a little ticket that says, hey, dumbass, remember to carry your license with you when you're driving a car. Most of the time you won't do that unless they're just being a total Adam Henry uh, asshole, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> but if they actually have never been issued a driver's license, which is different than driving on a, susp- a suspended license. This is somebody who literally never went, took the test, has no license. You can tow their car by law, right? But the California Highway Patrol was ordered not to tow the cars for that violation. Now, the reason was who in California would be the most likely to not possess a driver's license? That would probably be someone who can't obtain one. And the people that can't obtain them are people without proper documentation that they are in this country legally. So if you are not in this country legally and you cannot obtain a license, but you're driving around, guess what happens when you get pulled over? They're going to tow your car. Well, immediately towing someone's car for not having a license got branded as racist because there was a crap ton of cars that were being towed from Hispanics. Well, that's not racist it just so happens to be that the predominant number of people that didn't have a license were hispanic because they were undocumented illegal immigrants so to speak on on that which is funny is that there was a 30-day hold thing if if certain things you could meet you could hold the car for 30 days and do a 30-day hold on it right that got next and they were oh people were saying right in a hurry no more 30-day holds it is Mm -hmm. unfair to those of people of less fortune who basically cannot um, afford stuff. And, and they, they linked it to minor, minorities without saying minorities, even though in, 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 in California, it's, it's not necessarily the case in certain areas. And it's the like majority now, or the I, median. I, I don't crazy. necessarily disagree with that in some instances, because I will say 
that what Chuck's talking about, for those of you who don't know, and, and again, we're speaking of uh, California law, but there are many similar laws across the nation. Like it's not it's not that one <laughs> state comes up with a law and other states are like, well, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. It's more like, oh, that's a good law. We should do that, too. And when you have people getting their car towed, there's an option to not just tow it, but impound it and 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 seize it for an entire 30 days where they can't get it back for 30 days. Well, what does that mean? Tow fees, impound lot fees, like you're going to have to pay for storage of that car at the tow yard. So when they go to get it out 30 days later, it's going to be the tow cost, the cost to get the car back, the cost to get the registration, the cost, all, all that stuff at plus 30 days worth of impound fees that they have to pay before they can get the car back. And guess what? Most of those shit boxes aren't worth what it costs to, <laughs> to, to store them for 30 days. But the so politicians. It, oh, good. Good. No, I was just saying. So what happens? Well, they don't pick up the car. They, they just leave it, it and it goes to auction. Right. So I understand to some extent why saying, okay, the 30 days of impound fees impacts their ability to go to work, their ability to earn money, and then their ability to pay the fees to get the car out. So we need to revisit how we do that. That's an that's a different conversation than 30 day impounds are racist, which they're not. They're 30 day impounds. <laughs> like, so so the politicians, they they weren't concerned that somebody was out there who didn't have a license to drive right. and could put the population at risk by not having a license. They couldn't get insurance. So in right. the event that they hit somebody, the there was no insurance to cover those people. And um, and the thing is, though, it wasn't a change in, in the law. It was a change in policy. Right. So when you do that, so now it's a hardship on illegal immigrants to be able to get their car out of impound. Okay, so it's a, a financial hardship. So what happens when you stop the white guy who doesn't have his license on him? And do you, is that racist because you tow his car? Right. So if you're allowed to tow a white person's car and impound it for 30 days because they're white, but you're not allowed to do it to a Hispanic person, that is racist. Or what about, what about this? The person who's had multiple DUIs had a suspended license, is driving on a suspended license. You pull him over. He's in clear violation. Um, he doesn't have registration. Everything's suspended. You know, um, I think it's 14601.1, I think. Um, I could be wrong, but it's, it's a subsection of this driving on a suspended license. And you have the authority and the right to impound it for 30 days. But based on that, based on that whole policy or policies from other agencies, you're not able to do it. And then you're like, okay, well, I have to give him a reasonable amount of time to get someone to come and get the car. And then even though you can't get someone to get the car, you're like, okay, we'll just, just walk and leave it here. And you come back, you know, 10 minutes later on your regular patrol route, and the car's gone and he's back in there driving it. And now he gets into a DUI later on down the road and smokes someone. Whereas if you could have just impounded that car for 30 days, he's probably not going to get that car back. And you've taken a dangerous drunk driver off the road who is willfully driving on a suspended license due to uh, multiple DUIs. Right. Yeah, because what things like that, the way they changed the policy, they said that they're, they're not going to tow the car. If somebody can, if they can call somebody and they can, they're licensed and they can drive the car away, they're going to drive it down a couple blocks and then they're going to swap seats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, Okay, so if we they show up, they park their car, they leave with that car, they come back, they get their car. Right. Like, all right, good, go, go, go. 
Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I understand some of the um I understand some of the the feelings behind it. I'm not going to pretend I don't because I worked in a very very white and Hispanic neighborhood area, right? It was either it was probably I would say 50% white, 40% Hispanic, 10% like like 8% black, 2% other. That's really like I, if I were to hazard a guess just off the top of my head, that's probably right. Because, you know, with with the black uh, black families in town, you know, um, I think as a general rule, we we kind of knew a lot of them because there weren't very many. Um, but when it came to some of the some of the white tweakers, you couldn't like you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a white tweaker. It was just an awful place for. For what you know, just tweakers. Um, so from that perspective, I used to get really upset when when we would get dispatched to a call, and I would talk to the, I've talked to watch commanders, I've talked to dispatchers because I have been dispatched to calls because the caller says, "Hey, there's a suspicious man walking around my neighborhood," and I say, "What?" And the dispatcher says, "What's suspicious about him?" And they say, "It was a you know black male in his early twenties, and I've never seen him before." <laughs> and I went, we're not going to that. <laughs> we, we, we're, yeah, yeah. no, we're not going to that. And there's a, there's a name for it there. You know, it's the name for it was walking while black. You know, there, you can look up articles. There's driving while black. There's walking while black. And it's one of the most dumb, idiotic, racist, like stupid shit. And guess what? A lot of times it is not generated by the cops. It's generated by Gladys Kravitz looking at her fucking blinds and seeing some dude just trying to collect for charity or sell candy bars door to door for, you know, his school or whatever, but she's never seen him before. And he's got darker skin. Maybe he's Hispanic, maybe he's black. And so fucking Gladys Kravitz calls the police station. And unfortunately for my department, it was, if you call, we show up. Right. Like a lot of that's a, um, uh, that's just happened where these these guys, this father, son, and some third guy got convicted well, in some state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, shot, it was it a shot Aubrey. Yeah, Ahmad Aubrey. Mm-hmm. That, Ahmad Aubrey. I don't want to say the name wrong, but that's because yeah, it was it was the opposite of Kyle Rittenhouse. They all got convicted, yeah. and he looked yeah. he looked he looked uh, suspicious. He was a black guy. He looked suspicious, right? <laughs> and so they just got, walking. <laughs> so now they're in they're in prison. They're they're not going to see daylight. No. Yeah. Now. <sighs> I, as being the person that I am, I would try to get my way to see my way out of going to those calls because that I, I would tell the watch commander, I'm like, are we really going to that? And a lot of times the watch commander would look at the call and say, no, we're not going to that. That's, there's not enough there, you know? And so we would have the dispatcher call the person back and say, hey, call and let us know if there's something more suspicious, but we're not coming out just for somebody walking down your neighborhood. That's not illegal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, however, if there was no way I could avoid it, I would go and generally I would be UTL, you know, which is unable to locate and you get out there and they're just gone. Now that doesn't mean I didn't see them. Not GOA. <laughs> it just means, <laughs> I was, it just GOA. means that when I got there, uh, I didn't see anything suspicious. So that must not be the person that they were talking about. Right. They said it was a suspicious, a suspicious person. I drove by this very nice uh, person of color, whether they're Hispanic, black, whatever. 
and they were just walking down the street minding their own business. I am not going to jam them up just because Gladys Kravitz called the cops, period. I'm just going to be unable to locate her. They're going to be GOA, period. End of story. Yeah. That's what good cops should do. Does that always happen? No, it doesn't. Um, but here's the here's the little secret. If they dispatched a black cop to that and he went, and they dispatched a white cop to that and he went, and they dispatched a Hispanic cop to that and he went, they're getting dispatched to a call and they're just doing their job. So if it's something where a citizen is calling it in and complaining, you can't put that on the police. They're not proactively going after people for driving while black or walking while black or you know anything like that. But I do understand the reason why people want to have this conversation, and I think it's a good conversation to have. However, taking away one of the most effective tools that law enforcement has, similar to the carotid restraint, taking away pretext stops. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you've heard of Ted Bundy. I'm sure you've heard of Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was one of the most disgusting, depraved, vicious serial killers of all time. I remember as a child, as a small child, uh, (laughs) as a wee little babe, babe. I I was actually probably... I don't want to say, but I remember when Ted Bundy was executed and I remember when the photos got leaked to the press of his body after he'd been electrocuted in the electric chair in Florida. Ooh. And I was, yeah, I was fascinated because Ooh. I wanted to see what this serial killer looked like after he'd been executed. And so I looked him up and that, you know, I started to read more about Ted Bundy. And then the older I got, the more in depth I got. But one of the biggest things that stuck out to me was that. One of the first times Ted Bundy ever got caught, and and we're talking, he had left a trail of dead bodies in multiple states at this point. Mm -hmm. One of the first times he'd ever been caught was on a damn traffic stop. Now, in this case, it wasn't an, the the traffic stop wasn't intended to be a pretext stop, right? Because there's, let's face it, you see a guy driving out of a drug neighborhood and he's got no license plates on his car. You're like, well, he's driving out of a drug neighborhood. I don't give a shit about the plates. I'm going to pull him over for the plates, but I'm going to look for dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's legal. In Ted Bundy's case, the cop just pulled him over because he had been, I think, speeding. And then when he pulls him over, he starts to get into it and realizes that something ain't right. And he hooks him up and sure as shit catches himself a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Well, what if the court says that is a pretext stop and Ted Bundy has to be let go? Because the probable cause for his arrest was no good. (sighs) Is that really what you want? No. Because guess what? Ted Bundy did get out. He escaped. Mm -hmm. He escaped after that pretext stop. And he made it to Florida where he terrorized a sorority house. And brutalized a bunch of college age women. Before he was eventually caught for the last time. And then subsequently tried, convicted and executed. If that pretext stop had never happened, and well, let's imagine, let's go back. The pretext stop happens, but instead of Ted Bundy escaping, the courts or the department say, nope, that's that's not in policy. You were out of policy when you did it, so we're going to have to throw this out and let him go. Mm-hmm. Then the department is releasing Ted Bundy back into the wild to viciously and brutally beat and rape the corpses of college co-eds in Florida. Right. Yeah. I mean, and if you stop someone like that, that's my whole thing I was saying before. You're stopping them before they commit a crime. 
and and it's for the greater good. And you know, and further in Bundy's story, he was he was only convicted of two murders, but he confessed to twenty eight murders, including the rape and murder of a twelve year old. Yep, and God, Jesus, and, you know. And if they and if it was today, and they stopped this pretext stops, and you could have caught a Ted Bundy before any of this crap happened. I mean, are you gonna are you gonna bitch and moan that um, you stopped Ted Bundy because he was you know whatever? Uh, I mean, right. what's the what's the greater good, and what is really what's the bottom line? What's the end game on making these kinds of policies? Right. You what know, is your goal? <sighs> are you trying to make society less safe? No. What or- it is. I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's trying to appease the woke liberal agenda. That's all it is. It's to save face. It's to save departments that well, we know have that. I just meant and stuff like that. As it's a society, crazy. we need to really question what their motives are. And if they're politically motivated like that, then we need to have an honest discussion about how that's a terrible idea. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, I'll, I'll give you a for instance. Okay. In 1983, I was working with a probationer. It was nighttime. We were working. We were working graveyard morning watch. Stopped a car. I can't tell you, you know, exactly what it was, but we stopped him on a pretext stop, probably a vehicle code violation of some kind. I walk up to the car. It's this big, big black man. I mean, he was, he was buff. So I'm looking in the car, shining my light in there. Next to him is a sawed-off shotgun. So I tell my partner, we, we pull him out of the car. Turns out he's an ex-con. He's got a sawed-off shotgun. Now, the bottom line for me is today in this conversation that we're having right now, right. so where, where was he going? Where was an ex-con going with a sawed-off shotgun next to him? Right. Uh, he, he, had, um, he had an appointment at a very, very short-range skeet tournament. <laughs> skeet tree. Skeet tree. <laughs> but in 2022, I couldn't stop him. Right. No. no. What about? Hey, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, what about Timothy McVeigh? Timothy McVeigh. I mean, story. there's another one. I mean, well, tell them about it because maybe people, because because Timothy McVeigh was another one. Yeah. He. I mean, Timothy Timothy McVeigh is you know you're talking about a and and that's a white kid. Ted Bundy's a white kid. Like these aren't these aren't tools that are getting used specifically against minorities or people of color or, or, or Hispanics or blacks, like they, they do get used against everybody. I think the argument is becoming, are they disproportionately used against minorities? And then that goes back to our argument about demographics. Well, how do we know if they're getting disproportionately used? Where are they getting used and against who and in what context? Because without context, we know nothing. Right. Yeah. I have. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go for it. I was going to say, it goes back to what Chuck was saying. You can't see who's in the car. How is it that, that, I mean, is it just to make people feel good that you can't stop anybody? Right. You don't know who's right. in the car, so you're not stopping them because they match this, that, or the other. It's demographics again. And yeah, I'll say this. I was working in a drug neighborhood one time, and I was working with a, with a young officer who was still on training, and we were in a neighborhood. And I look at a car to my left, no front plate. I'm like, cool. I look up, the driver looks at me, looks away. And I'm like, so I slowly make my turn and I'm like, hey, we're going to stop this car. He's like, well, what's the probable cause? And I'm like, <laughs> well, since you don't trust me, it's no front plate. 
and uh, he has to have a front plate. There's nothing in the windshield, nothing. It's not a fix to the front. You have to, we have, we can have the right to stop him. He's like, okay. I said, just watch the passenger side. We whip on him, pull him over. He stops. We get out of the car. Long story short, pull him out because as I'm walking up to the vehicle, it is packed to the top with manufacturing goods of narcotics. And I can tell this because there's pressure cookers, there's all these siphons mm-hmm. and shit like that, and like resin. And in hell, there. pressure cooker could be a bomb making materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. my next story. I pull his ass out. Long story short, he had all of the makings, everything, all the toxic chemicals and the the the, the rubbish for the the marijuana to to cook down honey oil. Now, in a honey oil lab, if you do it wrong and you do it back backwards or whatever, you can blow your house up. I've been in numerous house fires where people are blown up, kids are blown up. And this shit is caustic, it's nasty, and we stopped them. And that's how a lot of good stops and a lot of people are put away, you know, for dangerous drugs and narcotics, for murders, for bombings, for shit like that. And it all stems from good, solid police work. Another one that I was not a part of, but it made national headlines, um, or at least in California, the officers were working close to uh, Los Angeles uh, airport, pull over a car for some sort of pretextual stop. Stop the car. Long story short, they found a shit ton of bomb making material in that vehicle. Bomb squad comes out, clears it. Then they go back to his residence, get a warrant, open up the residence. This dude had trip wires that everything set in his apartment. And it was a manufacturing facility inside of an apartment yeah. for bomb making material. Plus, um, there was, uh, I think, manifest manifestos of where he was going to go, who he wanted to pull up and shit like that. And they were able to stop a mass casualty event of a, of a mass bomb that is good solid police work. And you cannot do that anymore. So let's talk about unintended consequences. And again, everybody who listens to the show long enough knows that one of my favorite assignments, in fact, my favorite assignment to ever work was narcotics. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And which is silly considering how libertarian I am and like, my views on narcotics is like, Hey, open up the opium dens and let people go back in and shoot up till they die. And then we'll just throw them out in the trash after they're done. Like sign a waiver that's saying, Hey, you can come in and shoot up safely here. But if you die, we don't have to give you Narcan. We don't have to call the ambulance. We'll just take your dead ass corpse and throw it in the bin in the back. And then the city will come pick up the bodies once a week and burn them. Like, if you want to sign up for that, I'm all for it. I don't care. Like blow your brains out. It's, it's, it literally, I'm not going to stop you. I can't stop you. So I'm not going to try. I just want to create an environment where you go do it somewhere privately and stop screwing with the rest of us. My grandfather, as many people have have known who's listened to the show, said, do whatever you want. Just don't do it in the street and scare the horses. Right. (laughs) That was that was his philosophy. And I very much believe in a lot of that. However. Narcotics is fun because it's it's cat and mouse. It's chasing. It's 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 uh, it's almost like being a spy. Right. There are very similar uh, in fact, I, I went to an anti-terrorism class when I became a terrorism liaison officer. And uh, one of the guys that it was an instructor, we, we went out to lunch one time and he had worked previously for the CIA. And he says that the CIA actually really does love it when narcotics investigators decide to make the jump to a three-letter agency in the feds and go to uh, intelligence because doing anti-terrorism cell work is very similar to doing anti-narcotics cell work. It's finding out the hierarchy. It's finding out who the drop man is. It's finding out, you know, all that kind of, it's the same work. The only difference is it's bombs versus drugs, right? Well, I loved working narcotics. It was, it was a brain teaser. The surveillance was cool, all this stuff. 
there is something that I want to talk about that will be an unintended victim of this policy, which is wall stops. And bring that up. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who don't know, and without giving too much away, when you're working on a narcotics investigation, the narcotics detectives develop all kinds of probable cause, whether it's based on a wire, whether it's based on an informant, whether it's based on surveillance. They have, they have all these different ways that they can generate probable cause. But guess what? They don't want to tell you how they generated the probable cause. They don't want to give away their investigative secrets, right? So theoretically, let's say you're working a wire case. In fact, I'll give an example from a wire case I worked. I worked a wire case and we had a tracker on a vehicle that we suspected was going to Mexico and having narcotics somewhere in the vehicle. They were putting putting it in the frame, putting it in a hidden compartment. They were They were packing the vehicle with the narcotics somehow because of the way the patterns were evolving. And so when this vehicle came back from Mexico one time, we were able to see that it had just crossed the border into the United States. The debate became, how do we get the dope out of the car or find out if there's dope in the car to confirm our suspicions? And we, if we smash the car as a full narcotics team with all the stuff that we generated with the informants and the wiretap and all this stuff, if we smash that car and we come up with dope, then when we go to court, guess what we're going to have to do, people? It's called discovery. We're going to have to lay out our case. We're going to have to tell this drug smuggler how we were able to come up with enough probable cause to stop their car. And that will reveal that there's an informant that will reveal that there's a narcotics investigation that will reveal that there may be a wiretap. It will reveal all of these things, right? Now there's ways to try and delay that, but you can't stop it. However, there's something called a wall stop and a wall stop means that you call a patrol car and you tell the patrol car, find a reason to pull it over. And then the patrol car finds one of the one little sections in the 47,000 million sections of the vehicle code that this car violated, whether it's no front plate, cracked windshield, license plate light. I didn't blink. I didn't put my blinker on hundred yards before a turn, whatever the hell it is. You actually did it. You violated the law and I'm stopping you for it. Period. End of story. So now the, the report says patrol officer stopped a car for no blinker. Subsequent to that stop, I found 13 pounds of dope, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So now the investigators get to confirm that this was a smuggled smuggling vehicle, that it was smuggling dope. And they know in their report, they can say, we suspected this car was smuggling dope. A patrol officer pulled this car over, found a bunch of dope, confirming our suspicions. And yet we don't actually have to give up why we suspected it because he found his own probable cause and he found his own way into the car. And now we can continue our investigation and we don't have to stop at the 13 pounds that were in that car that we ripped. We can actually go to the next level and see if we can get the manufacturer or see if we can get the carts. Who knows? Right. That's a wall stop. You take away the ability to do a pretext traffic stop. And you can't 
wall off the stop. You can't hide your probable cause for stopping the car. You have to give up your case in chief. Do you know how many drug cases, major, major, major drug cases that involve things like surveillance, wiretaps, and confidential informants are made with wall stops? I, I, I mean, I would venture to say that they are vital to 80 to 90% of narcotics cases. Yeah, but Tom, you're, you're not being sensitive. Yeah, you're right. right. I, well, let's face it. I get routinely accused of not being sensitive. <laughs> In fact, I'm not sure I've ever been accused of being sensitive with the exception of my wife when she talks shit to me. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure Ken has has seen his fair share of, you know, done his fair share of wall stops and seen his fair share of, you know, career felons, probably murderers and things like that get stopped and put away based on a simple pretextual stop. I mean, I know I've worked a lot alongside with uh, narcotics groups and stuff like that and done a numerous amount of wall stops and, and, and been able to uh, make an arrest or just get info on someone, um, you know, that they needed info on and, and things like that to, you know, solidify their case. And I mean, you're right. You take that, you take that stuff away. You're basically crippling units that, that do stuff like that. And then, they're not able to make the ultimate bust and they're only able to make small, small time bust. And it lets the whole organization know, okay, well, we can't do that because they're onto us. And then we have to change the whole thing up and then you never get another shot at it, you know, and there's all these crazy, like people who are put away that are found on simple, simple traffic violations, equipment mm-hmm. violations, things like that. Yep. It's crazy. I mean, you could actually probably look up. There's probably a list. And actually, Ken, I think uh, we go back to your because you you uh, had an Instagram post about this, did you not? By the way, uh, if anybody wants to follow Ken, what's your Instagram? Uh, la underscore backgrounds thirteen. Yeah, la underscore backgrounds thirteen. That's that's the maybe you should see if background whisperers taken on Instagram too. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a list here that I can go through with you on pretextual yeah. stops. So. Uh, I'll just go through this list. Uh, May 1983, Orange County, California. Randy Kraft was stopped for a DUI stop. A young man's body was found in the front seat during a car search. He was later convicted of oh, yeah. killing 16 men. Yeah. Uh, January 1992, Riverside, California. William Lester Suff committed an illegal U-turn, expired tags, and suspended license. Detectives noted his license plate was seen at a dump site where several murder victims were found. Suff was convicted of 12 murders spanning 16 years. And um, June 1993, New York, Joel Rifkin stopped for no license plate. A woman's body was found on a woman's body was found in the car. He was convicted of seven murders. April 1993, Washington, D.C., James E. Swan, two red light violations. Uh, recently fired shotgun found in his truck. He was later convicted of four murders and 10 attempted murders. Those are just examples. And and you just pulled those out of thin air. Like that's not in-depth research into actual criminal case files to give you statistics and data on how effective pretext traffic stops can be. And here's the thing in all those cases, Ken, you and I cannot say one way or the other, whether the police officers were suspicious of the driver and then found a reason to pull them over or if it was blind fucking luck and they got 
they saw a violation, pulled them over, and it was just accidental that they happened to pull the person over with a dead body in the car. Yeah. So you have, in my opinion, made my strongest case for keeping pretext stops illegal or legal, I should say, or in policy because they're not trying to make them illegal. Yeah. Uh, And that's simply this. My friends and I said years ago, if you don't want to get caught doing stupid shit, don't do stupid shit. (laughs) Okay. That was kind of our mantra. If you don't want to get arrested for DUI, don't drive drunk, number one. But number two, don't drive drunk on expired tags. Don't drive drunk without a front plate. Like you're, hell, don't leave a party after having one extra questionable beer with your license plate light out, right? Mm -hmm. These are the things we're saying. If you're Joel, Joel Rifkin, I'm talking to you, Joel. I mean, let's face it, Joel. If you didn't check your entire car from stem to stern and do a full-blown vehicle inspection to make sure that your car completely complied with the vehicle code, and then if you didn't comply with every single traffic law driving that dead woman's body from point A to point B, you fucked up. <laughs> like, yeah, that's your own fault. You deserve what you get. So what yep. you're saying is, is that criminals can be stupid and do awful, heinous things. But police officers who know criminals are stupid and do awful, heinous things are not allowed to enforce laws knowing that the criminals do awful, stupid, heinous things because there's a chance that at some point in their heart, they made a racist decision to pull that person over because of the color of their skin and rather than the violation that actually occurred in front of them. So what you have just done is effectively impugned the integrity of every single law enforcement officer in your department by saying, look, we think most of you assholes are doing this to be mean. And so we're going to take it away from you rather than standing up for them and saying, no, no, no. Most of our guys are doing it right. And when we find the ones that are doing it wrong, we run them out of town on a rail. So that's what should happen. I think it, I think it goes back to the whole, well, we have to appease the, the woke, you know, agenda because there's less agencies or there's a good amount of agencies that back their officers and, <clears throat> and, and back the stuff they do, especially in Florida. And you see it come out a lot on a uh, national television and stuff like that. But then you have other agencies that it's like a plague to, to uh, back their officers when they've done the right thing. It may not look great, mm-hmm. but it's completely, it's completely within policy. It's completely within, you know, uh, federal guidelines and everything like that. And, and they just don't back officers. And I, it's, it's, they're afraid of offending a group or starting um a riot or think something like that or an unlawful assembly but at the end of the day that's your that's your job is to to keep the peace and and to keep law and order and if you can't do that what business do you have in law enforcement well i I, it's i never i never went to court or i never heard about a court case where the defendant's lawyer said hey uh we'd like to have this case thrown out because even though this this defendant was arrested for a heinous crime um, we want it thrown out because we think he was stopped for the color of his skin. I never had right. a suspect who I arrested go, hey, uh, besides the guns, the drugs, the the felony warrant that I had, uh, the stolen car I was in, um, I just want to make a complaint 
because the color of my right. skin. Never. Well, right. And so I want to also get into something that I think um, I think has a little bit of bearing because again, everything in life is a Pandora's box to some degree. Once you unlock it, you, the unintended consequences of letting other things out of the box are real. Now, for those of you that have never heard of a pretext stop or have only heard of it called a pretext stop, it is also called a Terry stop. And the, if you hear it called a Terry stop, you are talking to an old school copper because the reason it might be called the Terry stop is there was a case called Terry versus Ohio. Okay. And they in Terry versus Ohio, it's just a stop for reasonable suspicion of a crime, right? Just to stop for reasonable suspicion of a crime. It's not even a pretext stop. It's just, I don't have a violation. I have a suspicion, a reason, a reasonable officer with my training and experience would look at this situation and say a crime is occurring, right? That case was decided in what, um, 1968, right? And then uh, I think Wren versus the United States was the actual pretext stop case, and that was 1996. Well, if you want to go all the way back to Terry and say, well, cops can't stop people with no probable cause just based on reasonable suspicion. So what you're saying is, is that we can start to go back and look at cases that have already been decided by the Supreme Court as far back as the 60s and reconsider whether they should be legal or not. Because the Supreme Court has already ruled that these are constitutional and legal. And guess what, people? If they were racist they would not be constitutional. The Supreme Court would not, uh, well, the Supreme Court as it was at the time probably would not have let a law pass or and stand as constitutional post-Civil Rights Act if it was inherently racist. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about going back to Dred Scott and all that kind of stuff, because yes, our country is fucked up. I'm talking about our modern country. Well, that means that uh, Terry, the Miranda decision was in 1966. Terry versus Ohio was 1968. Roe versus Wade was 1973. So if you're trying to say that we should start opening up Supreme Court cases and revisiting whether these things are constitutional, you're opening the door to revisit every Supreme Court case since that point and decide whether it's constitutional. And that's an unintended consequence. So, folks, you got to you got to think if you're calling for pretext stops to end because they're racist and unconstitutional. But you're saying, no, 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 no. The Supreme Court decided Roe versus Wade in 1973. And how dare you think we should revisit that case? Well, then guess what? You are a hypocrite. You were on the wrong side. Because if it applies to one, it applies to the other. And in the law, at least and for now, while we still have a fair and reasonably equitable legal system, to some extent that will still apply and people will, the Supreme court will still say, well, if we can open one case, we can certainly open another. But the way they're getting around it is they're not challenging the legal aspects of it or the legality of it. They're making policy. Right. Yeah. And that is how you know it's political. Like the whole, um, you brought it up earlier, Tom, uh, the carotid restraint hold. Mm -hmm. Now that has been policy. It's not a law. 
policy. But a lot of states. Well, no, in California now, isn't it illegal? Yeah, I think. Well, I was going to. There's a state law. So, but yeah. Right. So a lot of states have put a kibosh on um, carotid restraint holds. And so I brought it up one time and I was like, okay, well, this was actually a real scenario that happened, not with me, but with someone else. And, but I used it as an example. I said, what if me and my partner um, are on a domestic or something and we get into a fight and this guy starts going for my partner's gun starts, starts hurting my partner. And I have the, the full right to take my, my uh, service weapon out and deliver a contact shot. But what if it's in such a precarious position that I'm afraid I may shoot my partner as well as the suspect. And I don't want to do that, but the suspect is giving me his back and I have a clear shot at a carotid restraint hole and a rear naked choke. Can I do it? And they said, no. And I said, but it's deadly force. They said, well, if you do it, because there's policy against it, you will be fired. But federally, you'll be okay. You'll be clean in the but lawsuit and you'll be won't go to jail, but you'll lose you'll your be job. job. You'll be out of job. I'm like, so the next option is I take my knife out and I stab him with my knife. Or I hit him in the head with my baton. So you'd you'd rather have me hit him in the head with my baton, crack his skull open, or stab him a shit ton of times in hopes that my partner doesn't get killed or seriously injured when I could have just ended it by a three-second choke, rendering him unconscious. Right. And like, now, uh, I'll give you a real-world example of that. I'll give you an actual real-world example. These are cops that I worked with. And again, some of the cops I worked with, by the time I came on, one of the guys that I worked with as a sergeant, he had worked the Hillside Strangler case. That should tell you some of the old-school guys that I worked with, right? Mm-hmm. So this guy, uh, he's fighting with a suspect, and he's an old-school copper. He ends up on his back. And the suspect's on top of him and his partner comes in and his partner's young and in training and really like amped. And uh, he's on his back. Suspect's on top of him. They're starting to wrestle. It's becoming a bit of a fight for his life because the suspect's going for his gun. Partner shows up, draws their gun and drives the gun into the small of their back and gets ready to contact shot him right through the heart, through the back. And the cop, the sergeant, the old school copper on the bottom goes, don't shoot him. Don't shoot him. I'm not wearing a vest. Yeah. So he was an old school copper. Wasn't wearing a vest. Mm-hmm. He's fighting with this dude. And he's worried that this round from a contact shot at close range is going to be a through and through, go through the suspect and enter him right through the chest. Mm-hmm. And he's screaming and yelling, don't shoot. I'm not wearing a vest. <laughs> now, let's just skip past the hilarity of that story and of somebody being dumb enough to go out in the street without a fucking vest on when it's available to them. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Let's go on to the fact that if you're that young rookie cop, what do you do? What do you do? Okay. I taught my guys, Hey, brain them with a flashlight, kick them with your boot, hit them with a brick, whatever you got to do. Deadly force is deadly force. If you can't shoot him, you know, if that means you drive your pocket knife in into their carotid or if you, you know, slit their throat like a sacred cow or I don't know. But if there's an option where you can climb on their back, wrap your arm around their neck, make them go unconscious for a few seconds with a with a less than covid risk of dying. And then they wake up seven seconds later with handcuffs on in the back of a police car and go, what the fuck happened? And then the cops go, you were an asshole, man. We had to choke you out. 
He's like, oh, really? Yeah, it was that or you die. Right. I, I think that that suspect would probably choose that option most of the time. Now, let's go with juveniles. What if it's a 17-year-old kid? And the, you tell the mom, you say, your son was fighting with a police officer. We had a couple of options. So I'm going to give you this hypothetical. Your son's fighting with this police officer. We can either crack his skull with a baton. We can tase him with 50,000 volts of electricity. And or we can apply a restraint around his neck where he'll go to sleep for a few seconds while we get the handcuffs on and put him in the car and then he'll wake up just fine. Or we can shoot him. What, which one is she going to pick? Mm-hmm. Which one is she going to pick? She's going to pick the carotid restraint every damn day and twice on Sunday. <laughs> that's the Lord's day. So what you're doing, these short-sighted, stupid decisions that are politically motivated have the unintended consequences of while they look good on the front end, they're really bad on the back end. And, you know, Dan Crenshaw, and I know a lot of people are, are, are on the fence about whether he's a rhino or whether he's, you know, you know, red flag, all this. I'm not talking about Dan Crenshaw's politics. I'm talking about something he said. And what he said in an interview was, we are more interested in feeling good about what we are doing than we are in actually doing good. And in this case, it's very, very obvious that that's what's happening. We want to feel good about saying we don't want people of color stopped more than they should be, which is the right thing to do, right? It's it's correct for us to say law enforcement and justice should be blind. That is the correct thing for us to always be saying. But to make us feel like we are doing that, we are willing to do things that A, aren't actually doing that, and B, are detrimental to society. That's that, I mean, you guys can, you guys can tell me I'm full of shit, but that's the way I see it. Well, when you look through everything, everything is through a racial lens. Then you come up with these knucklehead policies, taking away the chokehold that has to do with race. Pretextual right. stops, race, um, right. anything that's anti-cop has to do with um, uh, marginalized segments of society that are getting right. picked on rather than keeping the population safe. Right. Yeah. And I get it. I understand we want like one of my favorite shows, and I would encourage every single person who listens to this podcast, if you truly want to understand how awful this all is. And I, and I mean awful, like there's so many no-win situations for anybody involved in law enforcement and, and in, in public governance. Go watch The Wire. It's five seasons on HBO. It's like 10 episodes a season. So you get 50 episodes maybe to get through it. One of the best shows ever made, one of the most realistic cop shows ever made. But what's amazing about that show is the cops are, the cops are messed up. The criminals are messed up. The department is messed up. The city hall is messed up. The school district's messed up. The show is about how people are just trying to get by and do what they need to do, whether it's from the, because the show will show things from the gang member drug dealer's perspective. It'll show things from the narcotics investigator's perspective, shows things from city hall's perspective. And would you truly see how messed up everything is you will 
really understand that there are people who want to do the right thing and they are getting stopped at every turn by people more interested in power and politics and money. And that's the real truth of it to me. There are cops who want to do the Lord's work. And then there are cops that want to promote. (laughs) And there are cops that accidentally promote while doing the Lord's work. And they're the rarest breed of all. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) that's my soapbox. I mean, we're, it's a it's a doomed doomed way that that um, policies and and some laws are are going because they're going the way of feelings and not law and facts and things like that and it's just it's crazy and I think a lot of it stem started and it's been going on for years but it really got kicked off with with BLM with with Ferguson mm. and then after Ferguson uh, it kind of kind of fizzled out in Baltimore. Yeah, well, that one. Which is interesting because the wire is set in Baltimore. So if you are curious about like the internal workings of Freddie Gray and stuff like that, like go watch it. But and it kind of simmered out, and then you had something that happened in New York, and then it simmered out again, and then all of a sudden I think it was dormant for like mm, we had little pop ups here and there for about a year or two, and then all of a sudden the George Floyd thing happened, and then mm-hmm. things just went off the rails. And look, there's going to be cops doing bad things yes just like there's doctors doing bad things yes but departments also need to to rethink that their policies and procedures when it comes to restraining people and things like that because if an officer acts within policy he shouldn't be railroaded and 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 certain things and aspects Uh, and i'm not going to get into anything like that but you start looking at you know the officer did this the officer did that and we need to to you know reimagine all these different policies and laws to make it i guess equal even though it's not equal and now crime in certain areas is going to skyrocket yeah you're going to have you know um dangerous felons just walking around then they're going to get their egos really high then their crimes are going to get even more brazen mm-hmm. things are going to get more dangerous home invasions are going to get worse and you're going to be stuck with a whirlwind of violent and nasty crime and you've already seen in certain areas especially in california prop 4757 crime has spiked even as <laughs> much as you want to try to hide it crime has spiked and uh, yeah. how can you it's it's great it's crazy and then you have all this other stuff i mean i'm i'm really worried and when i talk to other people they're like well i'm, I'm kind of worried crime's getting bad i said I- i'm worried for you because a lot of the times it's it's the cops hands are tied and this area is getting overrun with calls and mm-hmm. and it's it's going to get more dangerous and it's it's not safe for the citizens it's not safe for the officers and it's getting to a point where it's going to either break and the pendulum to swing back the other way or it's just going to be the wild wild west and, and i don't know it's kind of kind of frightening to think about that yeah well let me let me read you a, a headline from today this is just this is fresh perfect today. timing California lawmakers want to reverse Prop 47, in quotes, make crime illegal again. There's a hearing that's coming up to reverse Prop 47. Well, gee, I wonder why. Is there anything happening this year? Can anybody think of something happening this year that might influence? It it can't can't. be election, can it? 
back. No, uh, no, 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 no. That's cynical. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't <laughs> no, be that it it's a midterm election year, right? I mean, no, uh, not at all. we're 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 overturning Prop 47 and we're lifting COVID restrictions in an election year. But that mm. that's just coincidence. That is seriously just coincidence. <laughs> Ironic. I mean, you know, so I think great. I think honestly, the government revo- removing COVID restrictions and trying to change some of these stupid laws in an election year is more transparent <laughs> and than than a pretext stop. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. It's too late. Well, man. Ken, Ken, I want to give you the last word as we close out because I love having you on and I, and you you bring as the background whisper you bring a, a you bring a wisdom of knowledge and, and experience to this show that I, I really enjoy. I just want to mention that that if you hear this stuff and you hear anything that's attached to some kind of social justice thing, society's going to pay and uh you need to vote these people out these that make these kind of policies and yeah. uh that that's the bottom line is it's not going to help it's not meant to help the common citizen. It's right. uh, it's going to hurt. That statue of Lady Justice, any Metallica fan knows she's blindfolded. Right? She's supposed to be blindfolded because justice is supposed to be blind. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to apply equally. But as soon as you start making social justice laws, you are effectively cutting holes in the blindfold. Instead of demanding social justice, you should be demanding justice done right. And that's blind. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's driving while black, call it out when you see it. And I'm talking to the 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 members of the black community, the members of the Hispanic community, the members of the white community, white cops, black cops, Hispanic cops. When Gladys Kravitz calls about the guy in her neighborhood, drive over to her house and say, "Ma'am, what was wrong? Why why were why were you suspicious? What's going on?" That's actually doing police work. That is tell, calling people on their bullshit. And that's really what we need more of. Make them say it out loud. Yeah. So they hear make it. them say, well, I mean, he was black. And you go, ah, Ooh. okay. <laughs> so that's the only reason. Thank you very much. Don't call for that anymore. Mm-hmm. Call people on their bullshit. Do not manufacture bullshit so that you can avoid the hard topics. Because let's face it. There are hard topics and hard discussions that we need to have in this country right now. They're very hard topics and discussions (laughs) that we need to have in this country right now. And I'm willing to have them. Unfortunately, I'm only willing to have them with adults. (laughs) Well said. Anyway. Ken, I want to thank you. How can everybody, first of all, I call you the background whisperer. If you guys are looking to get involved in law enforcement, and I thought I would ask you, Ken, do you help anybody going into a background process for a public safety job? Do you help firefighters or do you help yeah. parole officers? Or do it, so, so anybody that's going through a background investigation for a public safety position, you're, you, you can help them as well. Yeah. There's a, there's a difference between civilian positions like firefighters and police that are sworn, but the application process is they're the same. And right. So I help anybody different. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just as simple as that. But uh, yeah, I've been doing it a long time, and I know backgrounds, and uh, I'm able to, you know, I'm always willing to help people who want to apply, and we need good people in there. So yeah, give me oh, a Oh, now especially. But I, I, you know, if you're crazy enough to want to do it, Ken will be the guy. Where can they reach you, Ken? At www.policebackground.net. And uh, that'll be, go there, fill out a contact form, get a hold of me. Also, we also have the Police Applicant Podcast. You can find it on Apple or 
Spotify and just uh, there's tons of stuff. We're tomorrow we're going to uh, uh, we're going to record episode 31. So we're doing pretty good episode. Oh, look at that. All right, yeah, and, nice. and where do you think it's called the Police Applicant Podcast? That's yeah. like I'm assuming Apple Podcast, Spotify, yeah. Google, all that stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. great. So yeah. guys, check that out. <laughs> we we get people all the time asking for where can they find more content like us. So if you're interested in that kind of content, Ken's got that. What kind of uh, what kind of people do you have on, and what kind of things do you discuss? I mean, obviously background stuff and application yeah. stuff, but. Uh, tomorrow we're going to do a, an episode. Uh, we have a series called "A Day in the Life." We're going to interview a, a SWAT trainer, and uh, he he teaches uh, SWAT operators regionally. And uh, we've done the wow. the PHS, the application. Um, you lie, you die. The poly, the psych, yeah. everything that has to do with hiring. And uh, there's an episode for it. Let's let's do me a favor. Ask him if the whole standing next to the target during a live fire exercise is truly necessary <laughs> in SWAT training. Only if you're tough. Be tough. <laughs> so. Anyway, well, uh, thank you. And again, if if the background whisper is is yours, it's my gift to you. If backgroundwhisper.com is available, <laughs> go with God. Enjoy. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. I but uh, people can also find you on Instagram uh, at la underscore backgrounds. 13. 13. Okay. So you can follow Ken there. Got great information. In fact, that's kind of where this pretext stop conversation came from as Ken posted about it. We were already thought thinking about talking about it and I hit Ken up and I said, let's do it. Let's, let's get into that. Cause that's a, mm-hmm. that's a debate, man. And there's a lot of these debates to be had. So it's these war stories, sometimes we, we, we go into policies and procedures because this is the shit that civilians really do need to understand because when you see these articles in the news, it's going to be dominated by the opinions of the people writing them. And you should really understand what they're talking about from a, uh, a, a non-biased perspective. Well, a little biased because we think they're a good tool, but you know, there's, there's pros and cons and it is a debate to be had, but it is not a debate to be had lightly. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, it's a conversation needs to be had, but it needs to be had by grownups. Yeah. Hey, Ken, I got a question for you. Mm. Um, I get, we get questions frequently regarding hiring questions, any advice and things like that. And I, and I often give them advice and things like that and, and pointers. And then I know, I know, (laughs) I know I I asked Tom, like, Hey, have any advice for this person? And we give our advice and then I generally send them over to you, but I'm thinking since we get a good amount of it, why don't I just post your link to your website in our bio? That way yeah. I can, I can give them yep. advice and then say, Hey, if you want to yeah. get head to our advice, bio. head to our bio and click on the, uh, the background. And that's a, a good friend of the podcast, Ken. And he does a lot of background. Um, he's a background investigator and I can give them that info. Would you be up for that? Oh, much appreciated. Yeah. I'm always uh, willing to help anybody out. And uh, uh, like I said, I've been doing it a long time and I can, I'm, pretty sure I can answer almost any question and I do full consultations with people too. So, uh, awesome. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very kind of you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Great. And I guys just listened. Uh, I, I often repost a lot of Ken's things because they have relevance. They're, 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 they're very good topics. And I often repost them um, maybe once a week, every, every two weeks, I'll see something and I'll repost it. So if you see that, go give them a follow and then you can have his info. I will, we will then um, post a link in our bio. Um, that way, if you are thinking about joining or you need a background or you want to know, like, what can I do to improve and, or, or topics to hit while on the, the oral interview, which we get quite frequently, yeah. you guys can head there. 
Yeah. Cool. Thank you. So uh, I think that about does it. You guys know where to find us on social media. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also go to our website, www.warstoriesofficial.com. Uh, we still have Wibby hoodies. We still have, we, we've got some new stuff going on. We have been um, exploring a uh, YouTube channel where Chuck and I will be uh, debriefing some of these body cam videos and some of these yeah. law enforcement videos that our listeners send us. So look for that soon. Um, we haven't decided how we're going to do that. It may be a subscription. It may not be um, because at this point we we're starting to grow the channel, but we we're going to need to start uh, getting some support from our listeners. So um, uh, I, I would say just any way you can support us, just you can do so by uh, following us on social media, uh, sharing us with your friends uh, and, and uh, going to us, getting, getting stickers, getting merch, getting t-shirts, getting our Wooby hoodie uh, and help us keep the lights on and help us keeping you great content. Like, uh, our background whisperer can here. So until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it. <laughs>